0: Well, this morning, as we look at God's Word together, we're going to be continuing on in our series on discipleship through the Wicket Gate. And uh, if you want to go ahead and find 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that is where we'll be today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin our reading in verse 12. When you find that, please stand with me as we read from God's Holy Word together. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Together, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating and various kinds of tongues are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess, possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues. You all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. God, we come to you now asking that you would speak through your word to us, your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As Christians, sometimes we, um, we we laugh about, especially as Southern Baptists, about business meetings. Um, and the reason we laugh about it is, well, sometimes we laugh because it's painful when we think back about experiences that we've had in our own life when it comes to the business of the church. Um, but that's one of the things that, that it seems like Christians kind of get the bad rap for, right? Um, we, we have this kind of history of gathering together and then fighting amongst one another as we talk about business issues in relationship to the church. Now, it could be anything. It could be the color of the carpet, uh, which there have been church splits because of. Uh, It could be the kind of light fixtures that we would have in a particular area in a church. Uh, It could be any number of different, really, it seems like, inconsequential, inconsequential issues. But these things kind of blow up in churches, and especially in regards to business. Now, a lot of times we look at those and we think, you know what? And honestly, from since I've been here, we've really not had any bad business meetings. Nobody's thrown things at other people. Nobody's got up and shouted. Nobody's used bad language. I mean, it's they, they've been pretty civil. But, but, but what we think is, these are just really bad things that happen, but for the most part, the church is just really healthy. It's just... You know, when we get together and we have these business meetings, people just want to kind of share their ideas and opinions about these particular issues. But the truth is, those business meeting problems are just symptoms of a greater heart problem within the body of Christ in that location. Uh, It's simply shown in those particular kinds of environments. It doesn't mean that when they're not in business, everything is healthy and everything is fine. It means that everything is not healthy and everything is not fine. All of the time, because in these moments, there's this expulsion of of the things that are actually in the heart of the congregation. So when we think about our congregation, and in the past, we've had some of those kinds of meetings years ago. Uh, When we think about our body right now and the things that we agree on, the things that we don't agree on, the things that we think as in regards to our future and our vision. What we have to understand is we think about this whole concept of discipleship. As, as individual believers, we have joined together in covenant to be a church here in Jefferson town. And so God has instructed us that we ought to be unified. We ought to be unified by the bond of love that we share in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're looking at here in this text this morning. So we've looked at all of these individual experiences that, that you have on a regular basis, hopefully, whether it's re, in regard to your devotional life, you're studying the Word of God as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're praying to God as a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, you're continually walking down the, the hard way through the narrow gate, you're, you're doing all of these things, but then we, we have to remember that we don't do discipleship in just an individual context. The only way that discipleship is done is in the corporate context. We are a body. We are one. We are united in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So discipleship is not stripped away from the church. Discipleship is the heart of what the church is about. And so as we gather here in this time to look at this particular text, I want us to understand just a couple of things in this text. The first is this. I want you to understand that salvation brings diverse unity. Salvation is Itself brings about a diverse unity. Look there at verses 12 down to verse 13. This is what Paul says. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one's spirit. Now, this passage is very important for us to think about in regards to discipleship. Sometimes we think, as Christians, we can do this Christian life thing all by ourselves. And so, in, in the Reformation, there were several different solas that were um, that were. I guess, big, and we continue to think about them. Sola fide, uh, faith alone, uh, sola scriptura, scripture alone. And, and sometimes we want to think that Christian life is kind of like uh, sola bootstrapa. We, we can do this all by ourselves. It's by, by bootstraps alone. I can do this all by myself. But the reality is, we can't. This is a corporate experience. We are not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We are gathering together as one body to work together toward Christ. The problem is we have we're, we're never saved to be by ourselves. God did not send Christ to die on a cross for your sins so that you could live your life isolated from the body of Christ. That is just not the reason that he did it. He saved us to be together. His desire was that we would be a body, that we would be united. In fact, in John chapter 17, that's what Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays that you, being his disciples, would have unity in the same way that he and the Father are unified. We're to be a community. We've we've been saved to be a part of a community. So when we're saved, when we come to faith in Christ, when we repent of our sins and trust in his death and resurrection to pay the penalty for our sin, we do come individually, don't we? We do come before the cross all by ourselves. We are there responsible of our own sin, of the consequence of our sin. And there we find Christ by ourselves. But we also do it collectively, don't we? We do it collectively. This is what it means to be a Christian. Let me explain that just a little bit. If I was to illustrate this idea of individuality in in, and collectivity in the body of Christ, it might be something like uh, if you've ever been in the military and you've marched in cadence or or maybe if you haven't been in the military, maybe you played in band and you were in a marching band in in high school or something like that. And you, you see these kinds of. These bands, uh, they begin walking out on the field, and then they stop. Everybody gets to where they need to be. And then they, they, they begin to hear the beat of the drum that kind of gives them a cadence, and they begin to walk. Now, the person on their left and the person on their right and the person in front of them and the behind them, it, that, the, all of those people are kind of giving them a context of where they need to be in relationship to this marching band. But, but they're, they're walking, Right? So that with the beat of the drum, maybe it's their left foot that keeps coming down. So everybody looks like they're moving at the same time. But but the unique thing about a marching band is that most everybody has a different kind of instrument. And so they're, they're playing their instrument, but they're playing something different on their instrument. Now, if they were to go out in this field all by themselves and play an oboe, and it would sound like boop, 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 it wouldn't be that pretty. It'd be kind of ridiculous sounding, but when they all come together as one unified marching band, not only are they moving together in concert, but the music that is flowing out of this marching band is absolutely beautiful. Friends, that's that's the way the church is. That's the way salvation is. We come to the Lord individually on our own, responsible for our sin, repenting and trusting in Christ alone. But we also come together collectively. So when we come together as the body of Christ, we are individually moving and doing and believing. But as a body, we are also moving together, doing together and believing. And as a result, the beauty of what the body of Christ can accomplish through the grace of our Lord Jesus is amazing. We all experience salvation individually. But at the same time, we experience the results as as shared throughout all of Christian history. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we don't just come isolated from the rest of history. But all of us, when we come to Christ, we come with brothers and sisters from 2,000 years ago. As we all come to this one Christ, all come to this one Savior. and we place our trust and faith in Him... And we are united by the bonds of his peace. Now, though we are all individuals, we can recall the process through which God has called us to himself. Each of us has a different story about how we come to know Christ. But we've all been saved collectively through the same gospel. Through the same truth, through the same spirit. This is what Paul is saying. So when we think about conversion, what is happening at conversion? Well, Paul talks about it in several different places. I just want to reference those really quickly. In Romans chapter 6, he says it's like this. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in His death, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead... We'll never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin. Now, what is he saying in this passage? Just a few things that I want to point out. The first is that we're united with Christ. This is what we call union with Christ. It's one of the most amazing truths that you will find in Scripture the fact that we have been united with christ individually and collectively so when christ died 2000 years ago when he was put upon that cross and the nails were were nailed the nails were penetrating his wrist and he was being hoisted up on this cross to die Friends, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, when you're repenting of your sin, when God is drawing you through the power of His Holy Spirit to place your trust in Jesus Christ, what is happening at that moment is you yourself are with Christ. You're dying with Christ. So the death that He died is your death. You are being united with Him in His death. And the only reason that you can be united with Him in His life is if you've been united with Him in His death. And friends that's what we symbolize that's the sign that we do when we talk about baptism. A person is taken into death symbolically with Christ only then to be raised up to walk as Paul says in newness of life. Why? Because the life you're living now it's not your life. Because you died 2000 years ago. You're dead. Now your life is Christ's life. So the life you live now is new and fresh. And it belongs to Him. And that's the reason you receive the inheritance. It's not because of anything you did. It's not because of anything I did. It's all because of what Christ did. And this is His union with Christ. So we're united with Christ in His death and resurrection. And the results of this unity is holiness. Is it because you yourself... Are holy? No. It's because Christ is holy. It's because Christ is united with you. You're dead. You're only living now in him. And that holiness is his holiness. And friends, we experience this together. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says. Remember. That you were at the same time. Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenant of promise. Having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What's what's he talking about? He's talking about the, the dividing wall that separated the Jews from the Gentiles in the temple. That's his reference point. So for the people of Israel, as they would come together, whether they were Gentiles and yet they were believing Gentiles or they were Jews, the Jews were allowed into the inner courtyard. The Gentiles could come and worship Yahweh from afar. But there was a wall that divided them. And what Paul is saying is that dividing wall has now been crushed with the cross. Christ has broken down the dividing wall. And now instead of having two people, God now has one people. He says one new man. So, through Christ, this salvation that God has given to us, we are pulled together despite the differences, despite the different backgrounds, the different experiences. We are brought together and united as one person in Christ. So, to help us understand this kind of unity that Paul is talking about, that we have in the church, he says, Look at your own body. This is the illustration he gives. Look at your body. Look down, you you have hands, you have feet, hopefully, you have elbows, you have earlobes, you have all of these different members of your body, yet none of us wake up in the morning and begin to think, all right, mm, come on, y'all, we need to gather up because we're about to go go forward for the day. I need my legs to, come here, come here, I need you, come here, come here, I need my hands. We don't do that. We wake up and we expect everything to be as it was when we laid down. We don't expect that our hands are going to wander off during the night. no. Why? Because we're one body. Right? We're connected. We're united. Paul says we ought to think of the body of Jesus Christ in the same way. When we come to Christ, we are brought together in this unity. Now, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your background, regardless Of your experiences. Within this congregation, we have people that are from different states. And as a result, that means you're from a different subculture in America, right, Mark? People from the North are different from people in the South. Okay. People from the South are different than people in the North. Different subcultures. Some like sweet tea, some don't like sweet tea. Some are right and some are wrong. We have different backgrounds. We have different experiences. Some people grow up overseas. Some people have never left the state of Kentucky. So we're different. We have different experiences. We have, we have different occupations. Now, I was just thinking about that earlier this week, thinking about the things that we do, all of the different occupations that we have represented in our congregation. I, I, I know I'm missing some, but here, just listen to the diversity law enforcement, farming, administration. Executives, banking, construction, plumbing, medical science, school teaching, medical surgery, chiropractic care, management, medical building, lawn care, homemakers, marketing, food industry, sales, geological surveying, landscaping, herbology, military, electricians, home improvement and carpet installation, students, chemical engineering, musicians, refrigeration and installation and repair. I mean, we have all kinds of different things happening. And your occupation, the thing that you do on a regular basis, that is the thing that you're always thinking about throughout the week. I don't think about some of the things that you think about. You don't think about the things that I think about. We're we're different people experiencing different things on a very regular basis, but the amazing thing is we come together united. Why? Most of us, if it wasn't for Jesus, we would never hang out. Let's just be honest. We don't really have connecting points. We don't like the same movies. We don't like the same books. We don't like the same sports teams. Whatever it is. But but there's something bigger, something cosmic that draws us together and it's the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have unity. Our unity transcends all of our differences. We're gathered together for one common goal. One common purpose, the worship of God and the proclamation of the gospel. That's what we come together for. So we must understand that salvation through Jesus Christ brings about unity even though we are different. And secondly, we need to embrace our independent role in the body. Look what he says there in verses 14 down to verse 20. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul is talking about the body of Christ, the church. And he's addressing a problem that we all seem to struggle with. What is my role in the church? What is my role in the church? Now, typically what we do is we begin to try and compare ourselves with other people. We, uh, we want to compare ourselves with people who have similar interests, skills that we also have, but maybe they're using them better than we are. We compare ourselves with people around us. But notice what he says. He says that the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm worthless. Because I'm not a hand, I'm worthless. He says the ear, ear says, because I'm not an eye, I don't even belong to the body. Now apparently, in this text... The church of Corinth is struggling because there's people there that are depressed because it seems like some of the members are more gifted than other members. They're doing different things than the other members are. And they, they wondered whether they had any right to be in the body at all. It doesn't seem like I can do the things that this person is doing or do the things that this person is doing. Maybe I'm not even fit to be a part of this body at all. But Paul gives them encouragement. He says the foot may very well be depressed at its inability to exercise the complicated functions of a hand, but that doesn't mean that it's not necessary. doesn't mean that it's not valuable. It doesn't diminish its value. In the same way, he says, the ear and the eye. Just because you're an eye and not an ear doesn't mean that you're not important. doesn't mean that you're not valuable. The early church father, John Chrysostom, he points this out, that the contrast... Itself, he, he says this, he says, we're prone to envy those who surpass us a little rather than those who are on a completely different class. So the foot compares itself with the hand, the eye or the ear compares itself with the with the uh, the eye. Now, most of the time, like I wouldn't I wouldn't be tempted to compare myself with like a medical professional. Right. Somebody who's who's gone to school for years and can make diagnosis and can uh, you know, prescribe medicine and who understands anatomy in such a way that, you know, I, I will never understand. I, I don't compare myself with those people. I'm not tempted to do that. I just expect them to know the things that I don't know and I'm happy about it. Right. But who who is a pastor? Would I compare myself to? Pastors. Right. You compare yourself with other people that are of similar um, uh, skill sets that you are. And, and you look at people that are doing it a little bit better, and you think, "Wow, man, why can't I do it like that? Why can't I do it like this?" In fact, when you go to the Southern Baptist Convention for years, this has been the problem. Go to the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, pastors will greet one another, and if they don't really know one another that well, do you know what the first question is that they ask? So how many of you run it? How many are you run it? What's, your, what's, your, what's the size of your Sunday school? That's the question. Do you know why? Because they want to compare themselves. They want to know how well they're doing in comparison to everybody else. That's a huge problem. It's not just a problem with pastors. It's a problem with all of us. We look at people that are very similar to us, are doing the same things as us, and we think, man, why can't I do it like that? Why shouldn't I be able to do it like this? And we compare ourselves. And the problem is, we cannot compare ourselves because God has called you individually into this body to be a part of the greater whole. He's given you the purpose. He's given you the calling. Paul says, imagine if we were all the same. Imagine if we were all Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc. I know. What is he? He's a walking eyeball. How ridiculous. Where's his stomach? That's my question. I mean, there's all kinds of questions we could ask about this man. He doesn't have anything that everybody else. Has. He just is an eyeball with arms and legs. We can't all be the same. We can't all be the same. Someone has wisely said, if two people always agree about everything, then one of them is not needed in the relationship. Right? The same is true of the church. If all of us taught Sunday morning Bible study classes, who would we teach? If all of us were were deacons, who would we serve? If, If all of us were working in the kitchen downstairs, who would actually eat the food? If all of us us were going to work with children and youth, who would teach the adults and do discipleship? Likewise, if if we're all going to be called to, to, to take care of the students and the children, who is it that's going to disciple them? Look what Paul says. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, notice this, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose And we, we all have different experiences, different skills, different passions, different callings. Now, is it random? No, no, it's not random at all. He says God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now, think about yourself. Why are you here? If you're going to embrace your independent role in the body of Christ at J-Town Baptist Church, what is that going to look like? What does it look like? How are you serving the body? How has God equipped you to serve his church? What talents, what skills do you have to serve this body? Are you serving as a greeter on Sunday mornings? Are you a teacher? Are you assisting Teachers, are you, are you in a move group helping to share the gospel with those around us in J-Town? Are you a musician and playing an instrument? Are you a singer and helping with the worship on Sunday mornings? Are you called to be a deacon and serve the families of the church in various ways? Are you counseling other believers? Are you discipleship mentoring? Are you leading a small group? Are you caring for children and looking after babies in the nursery? Are you praying for other, church, other people in the church? Are you maybe leading prayer gatherings in your home? Are you being hospitable with your home and inviting people into your home from the church? Are you, are you using your home as a tool To share the gospel with those around you? Are you gifted in technology and website design? Are are you serving in media on Sunday mornings? Are Are you washing dishes? Are you mowing grass? Are you serving on a committee? What are you doing? Are you using the skills that God has given you to do something? You know yourself better than I do. What has God gifted you to do? If you're not doing the thing that God has gifted you to do, then friends, you're like a club foot in the body of Jesus Christ. You don't want to be a clubfoot Christian. What is it that he has called you to do? What has he gifted you to do? You are not here by accident. Now, a lot of times we might think that, right? We've all had relationships with people in churches where we thought, why are they here? Why are they here? I know it's not just pastors. Why are they here? What are they doing? But the reality is, nobody's here by accident. God is sovereign. You believe that? Amen? God is sovereign, and He's not just sovereign over salvation. He's not just sovereign over the, the cosmic work of the universe and, and the planets going around in the right places. He's not just sovereign about those things. He's sovereign about church too, believe it or not. He says he has arranged the members of his body. He chose it. You are not here by accident. If you're here, then God has placed you here and God has gifted you and given you skill sets to accomplish the things that he wants you to accomplish here in this church, in this body. So we're unified through Jesus Christ, even though we're different people. We all have independent roles, ordained by God, in this congregation. But also you need to remember your dependent connection to the body. It would be tempting for us to think, well, you know, I know what God has given me as a gift or a skill or a calling, and I can do that all by myself. That's, that's the other temptation. One, you think, I don't have any gifts or calling. The other is, I've got them all. I've got, I can do whatever I need to do. I don't really need people to help me do it. Paul says that even though we have independent roles in the body, we're completely dependent upon each other for health and fulfillment, and fulfillment of our purpose. Look there at verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. One member is honored, all rejoice. Now look what Paul is saying. Weakness doesn't mean unimportance. You hear me? Weakness doesn't mean unimportance. And it's the same way that you wear sunglasses outside. Why? Because your eyes are very delicate organs. And you don't want them being destroyed by the sunlight. Right? You want to take care of them. They're, they're a weak part of the body. They're easily damaged and hurt. We're very careful to guard our eyes. We don't want people, you know, that's the, like the thing that parents say. You're going to poke your eye out. Put the stick down. I know there's a marshmallow, but there's also a point underneath the marshmallow. Put it down. You know, that's, we, we're careful with eyes because they're so delicate. Do you think that because your eyes are so vulnerable that they're really not that important? No. No. Of course not. And the same is true for the body of Christ. For those who are weak, for those who are weak in faith, maybe they're they're just starting out in their Christian journey and they're weak in faith. Sometimes they doubt and they struggle. Are you less valuable to the body of Christ? No. No. You are valuable. You are needed. You are wanted. Your weakness doesn't mean that you're unimportant. You are valuable to the body of Christ. Maybe you're a senior adult. Maybe you can't do the things that you used to be able to do. And so getting out and attending all of the different services or going and doing this project or that project with a move group is something that seems really overwhelming to you. Your weakness in this area doesn't mean that you're not valued. Your weakness in this area doesn't mean that you're unimportant or not needed. You can invite young couples into your home and mentor them, love them, help them with parenting. You can pray for the church, for the future of the church. You can pray for your pastor. I would appreciate that. You can give resources to the church. For ministry, you can give toward missions. Helping even some of our own people go on mission. Be the legs. You be the heart that prays. Weakness doesn't mean it unimportant. Paul says the parts... Of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You hear me? Look at the next thing. He says, quiet and hidden doesn't mean cheap or unnecessary. Quiet and hidden doesn't mean cheap or unnecessary. Paul says, those parts of the body that we think less honorable. He's very political in this paragraph. These parts of the bodies which we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And when we think of our bodies, there are certain portions of our bodies that we don't expose to one another, aren't there? There are certain parts of our bodies that are left to marriage relationships and the shower. We keep those there, right? Now, does it mean that those things are bad? No. It actually means those things are special. Those things are hidden. Those things have value in the place that God says that they ought to be valued. Friends, if you find yourself always in the background working, no one ever saying, thank you, I really appreciate it. Never standing in front of a microphone and saying something in front of everyone. Never receiving the limelight. Friends, what you do in secret God rewards those who do those things in secret for Him. Just because there's quietness about what you do doesn't mean that it's not valuable and necessary. And finally, finally, unity means that we are together through it all. Now I just want to look at our own covenant. Last year we we, we updated our church covenant, and this is what it says. This is what we have covenanted together. To be about. It begins, it says, we now solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with each other to walk. How are we going to walk? Together. Together. In him, with brotherly love, to his glory is our common Lord. And it goes on and it says, we will lovingly encourage and, if necessary, rebuke one another in the spirit of meekness. Keeping watch over ourselves also, lest we be tempted. We will remind one another that in baptism we have been buried with Christ and raised again so that we have an obligation to walk in the newness of life. It goes on and says, We will resolutely protect one another from and personally resist the temptations toward idolatry, pride, jealousy, anger, envy, rivalries, dissensions, division, greed, theft, sexual immorality, and addictions. For those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Coming together to help one another. We will deliberately build up the body by not slandering one another. Lying to one another. Complaining about one another. Nor provoking one another to anger. We will be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation. Being ever mindful of the grace of God that has been lavished upon us all. And finally it says, we will joyfully submit to one another in brotherly love. Pray for one another. And aid one another during times of sickness and distress. We will weep with those who weep. And rejoice with those who rejoice. By cultivating feelings of sympathy, compassion. And respect toward one another. Guys, this is what we have covenanted together. This is the document that we have said. This is what we want to be about as a church. This is how we're going to be involved in each other's lives. These are the things that we're going to hold each other to. And notice, it's together. It's together. It's together. So we are one body. Under one head. The Lord Jesus Christ. And even though we're different. We are united through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ. So embrace the independent role. That God has given you here at this church. Remember that you're deeply dependent. On everyone around you. To grow in Christ. And to fulfill the great commission. And then finally. Discover your gifting. But focus on love. Look there at verse 27. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? He asks. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He says, but desire earnestly the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, Paul's reminding them that we're all individuals, but we're a part of one body and God has appointed certain roles within the body. Now, this is one list of a couple that Paul has in the New Testament that outline various gifts given by God to the people of God for the equipping of the church. Now, the danger here is we begin to think about these lists as we begin to assign hierarchies to the gifts, right? So then we have like tiered Christianity. So the top tier, well, that's, you know, apostles, prophets, teachers, tier, that's tier one Christianity right there. Tier two Christianity, miracles, hearings, tongues, healings, I mean, tongues. Tier three, Christians, these are the normal folk, right? Admin folk, that kind of thing hospitality, that kind of stuff. That's tier three kind of thing. That's the danger. We begin to kind of put these different hierarchies in our understanding of the gifts. This is not what Paul is doing. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says something very opposite of that. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And this is what he says. He says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individual members of. it." He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He says that nobody is higher than the other. But you have to discover the gift that God has given you so that you can use it in the way that God has intended for you to use it. Now, we could spend an entire sermon series talking about the gifts and how we want to interpret them, how we believe we should understand them. But I want us to understand a bigger picture of what Paul is talking about. He's saying that these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit and we should desire them. We should desire to understand what it is that God has gifted us with. So we should work together in discipleship to discover what gift God has given each of us. Because they're given for a purpose, to build up the church, to equip the body for ministry. But God says through Paul, he says, we ought to desire the higher gifts, the higher gifts. And he says, I will show you a more excellent way. And this is what leads us into chapter 13, the chapter that talks about love, the chapter that we always hear at at weddings, chapter 13, he unpacks this greatest gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's not prophecy. It's not healing. It's not miracles. What's the greatest gift? He says it's love. Listen to what he says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, he says, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and I deliver my body up to be burned, if I'm a martyr, but I don't have love, he says, I have nothing. So what's he saying? He's saying, keep focusing on the gifts. Keep focusing on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if you don't have love, you don't have anything. You have nothing. So the body of Christ must be built up. The only way that it can be built up is through love. That's why Paul beautifully describes what love ought to look like. This is not just love in the sense of a, a marriage relationship, though it works that way too. Love always works the same. But love in our context, context as a church, what does love look like? Well, it looks like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. That's the way that we're supposed to relate to one another. And what does Jesus say? He says, by loving one another as disciples, you prove that you belong to. Friends, we are one body united through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us have individual roles that God has given each of us. We look out at each other. We have to know that we are dependent upon one another for growth and for fulfillment of our purpose. And the only way that we can do that is through love. So let me end with Paul's words to the Colossians. And they're just as helpful and true for us at Jefferson Town Baptist Church, as they were for the Colossians 2,000 years ago. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Now listen to this. He says, and above all these... Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Let's pray.